Good morning, good morning. How many appreciate our production team? They always do an amazing job. Amen, amen. Hey, we welcome you today. I'm Pastor Dan, founding pastor, and uh, they've got me up here another time. Pastor Brad asked me to preach. I said, I'd really like to rather hear you. So how many appreciates the messages that Pastor Brad has been bringing week after week? I know he's my son, but I want to tell you, I'm proud of him. And, and uh, every Sunday, people are coming up to me after both services going, God's taken him to another level. Every message is like a whole new level of God's word. How many feels that way? When you know God's word's talking to you, then it's a fresh word, a rhema word from heaven. And so we're honored here. We're going to share part three today in this series called uh, uh, Thought Attacks. I almost named my message. Today, I want to talk to you about doubt storms, but... We're in this series called Thought Attacks, and I love that first sermon that Pastor Brad brought, and how many has been telling the devil, not today? Yes. Come on, anybody remember that part? Not today, devil, not today, and uh, he doesn't have that say-so. And so before we, we get into the Word, I just want to take a minute, and we've got some people up on the East Coast, man, that's going through some rough stuff right now, and we know what it's like to be there uh, through a storm. And so, Father, we just agree in this room today for all of those that are struggling and suffering, God, through this hurricane of Florence, Lord, families that are being devastated, God, lives that are being turned upside down right now. We pray, God, for those that are affected. We pray for churches and ministries in that area, God, that this will be a time that even through crisis, many will look to you and come to you, Father. And so, God, we pray that what seems to be so negative and bad, that you'll bring good out of it, Father. And we thank you for it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, get up. We, we normally, if you're a guest, we normally pass out fill-in-the-blank notes, and, and normally I do also, but I just want to share my heart with you today. Is that all right? Good. I'm going to do it anyway. All right. Get, we're we're going to go to our text that uh, Pastor Brad's been using each week. It's found in Romans chapter 8. It'll be on the screen. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Come on. How many could go home right now and go, I heard a word. How many thankful that when you came to Jesus, the old is gone and the new is here? It's a brand new creation in him. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For those who live according to the flesh, here's the key, set their minds on the things of the flesh. As a man thinketh, so is he. Wherever my mind is, that's where every other part of me is going to follow. So those of the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. The book of Romans, the Apostle Paul said, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove, and the word prove there in the Greek means to know, that you may know what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. But I love what James says in the book of James. He says, anyone who doubts, say doubt. Yes. Anybody besides me battle that little deal right there called doubt? Anyone who doubts is like a wave in the sea, blown up and down by the wind. Such doubters, and I want you to hear this today, such doubters are thinking two different things at the same time, and they cannot decide about anything that they do. 
You see what the enemy wants to do through this thing called doubt is to get, the Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in every way of his life. Why? He's thinking two opposite directions at the same time, so he goes nowhere. She goes nowhere in life, so we sit in this state of confusion. When Kathy and I were in uh, Kentucky, we were in northern Kentucky from 1987 to 1990. We were assistant pastors at a church, and then God spoke to our heart to open up a church, an inner city church, and over the Rhine in Cincinnati, Ohio, in the very worst area of Cincinnati where drugs and prostitution and everything. And we went down and looked for a building, couldn't find one. The only building that was down there that was even available was an old historical theater that would seat about 800 people. Gabby was there. I dedicated her there. But it was an old theater, seat 800 people. It had been shut down for 12 years. It had a hole in the ceiling about the size of this stage for 12 years. It had been shut down, rain pouring in. It stunk. It smelled. It had rats as big as cats running around in it. And I'm not exaggerating. They're called field rats, city rats. And, uh, and so, I mean, we went in this building. I remember the first time I brought Kathy to see it. She walked in and went, please tell me you're not getting this, this building. I said, it's the only one down here available. We're going for it. She said, whatever you feel, I'm with you. But, oh, this place stinks, all right? And so I remember we took, we signed the lease on this, but we had no money. We had no team. We had nothing but a vision that God was going to create an oasis in the middle of the ghetto. We called it the garden in the ghetto. And so we went down there and we started renovating this building. We had no money. And I remember the ceiling of this, this theater was three stories high. So you can add another story to this ceiling. And, and it was paint peeling everywhere from all the water. And, and so we had to get scaffolding three stories high. And we couldn't take the seats out. So we had to put a walk board that was 24 foot long, 18 inches wide from one scaffold to the other. And I'm up there. I was in there by myself one day. And I'm scraping the ceiling of all this old paint. You're up three stories. And, and I'm full of vision. I'm full of faith, man. We're going we're gonna to do this. God's going to make a way. He's going to provide. And, and just full of zeal. And I mean out of nowhere. A cloud of darkness came over me and hit my mind and the enemy began to speak to me. Are you crazy? Are you foolish? You think you're going to do this? You think this is going to happen? And I mean every ounce of doubt and fear that could come against me and in one moment my faith turned to doubt, unbelief, and fear and I was hit by what I want to talk to you today called the doubt storms of life. You see, we know about hurricanes, we know about rainstorms, hailstorms, snowstorms, the damage that these do, but I want to tell you, doubt storms do far more serious damage to us than any of these can do on the outside. Because you see, as I laid on that scaffolding and that walkboard and fear got a hold of me, I, I climbed down. I remember throwing that scraper on the floor and going, God, it, it, it's not going to happen. It won't work. We can't do this. It's too big. I'm in there by myself. We had no big church to round up. We had no place. It was us. And I remember the next day, on, I, I preached there on Sunday, or went to our church on Sunday. On Monday, I went to Alabama to preach at a church that week. They were having a revival, and, and I preached on that Sunday. And then on Monday, I heard that my mentor, Burke Clendenin, was preaching a conference just a ways up the road. And, and he was an old Marine sergeant. You know, he's one of the main mentors in my life next to my father. He had the greatest impact in my life of any man. 
And, and uh, he was an old Marine sergeant. You know, he had a, a hand that was this big. And when he pointed his finger at you, it was this big. You know, you know what I'm talking about? One of them guys, you know. And, and when he joined the Marines, they said, are you Protestant or Catholic? He said, I don't know. They said, Protestant. If you was Catholic, you'd know it. All right. And, and so they put him down as a Protestant. And he eventually got saved. And, and, and he was next to the Apostle Paul. He, he was like an unbelievable man of God. And, and so I heard he was preaching. So before I went back home, I, I went to hear him that morning, and I remember walking in that church as plain today as it was, and I walked in, and they have just introduced him, and I was able to get to the front row before he went up on the stage and never got to say, how you doing, what's up, high five or nothing. He just looked at me and pointed that foot-long finger, and he said, God never starts anything on earth, son, that he hadn't already finished in heaven. Oh, my God. It was like just all of a sudden doubt was reversed back to faith. And all of a sudden, I got a rhema word that said the same God that started it, he's already seized the whole picture in heaven. He's already made a way of everything you need. He's already gotten taken care of. Now it's dependent. Are you going to walk in faith or are you going to walk in doubt? And so the enemy knows that if he can get me in the flesh of doubt, He's got my mind, and as I think, I am, and I'll never move into God's plan and to God's purpose in my life. You see, there's this thing called the window of our heart. Every one of us have a window in our heart that we see God through. We came to Jesus messed up, confused. Our vision was cloudy. We had disturbed minds. But as new believers, the window that we saw through now became very crystal clear. God was very real to us. Our faith was strong in him and in him alone. We knew that he was there and that he was going to take very good care of us. The window of our heart was finally clean. No more confusion. The loss, the, the lostness of my heart, the, the emptiness was now gone. And, and I saw him clearly like I had never seen him before. We began to know God, understand how he works. We began to know his purpose and plan for our lives. And we began to pursue it with passion. But in the midst of that journey of faith and hope, in the midst of the excitement and the zeal and the passion of our new experience with God, suddenly, unexpected, out of nowhere, came a stone, came a rock. It was thrown and it was intentionally thrown in our direction and it hit our window and it shadowed the glass that we once saw clearly through. And now what was clear and simple and clear that I could see and know God and find God at any moment was now fragmented and shattered. And what I used to see clearly from now, now I have to work and find my way to find him in the midst of my struggle. You see, all of a sudden, our vision, our perception, and our image of God has taken on a sudden change, and our once childlike faith has now come under attack with adult-like doubt. You see, the stone may have struck when you were a child. Maybe divorce left you torn between two parents. Maybe it was a stone where a relative that you trusted deeply hurt and abused you. Maybe your stone was a father that was supposed to affirm you and yet he abandoned you. Maybe the stone that shattered your window as a young adult, you fell in love only to have your heart broken by the one that you loved. Maybe your stone came in the time of your adulthood. Maybe it was there that that stone came and it cracked and shattered your window. A phone call from law enforcement 
telling you that your child was now in custody. Maybe the stone that shadowed your world was a call informing you that your child was being transported to a hospital from a serious accident. Or maybe even worse than that, their life was tragically and suddenly taken. Maybe it was a letter from a spouse saying they no longer loved you. Or maybe a grown child that you poured your life into now leaves and says they want nothing to do with you. Maybe your stone was a dreaded and unwanted diagnosis from your doctor saying that you're terminally ill. Maybe it was a letter from an attorney saying your outcome doesn't look good. It might have been your employer telling you that your services were no longer needed. But regardless of the form of mine and your stone, the results are the same. The window of our heart that we once saw clearly through is now shattered and our image and understanding of God has come under great attack. You see, God could have stopped it, but he didn't. And I don't get that. Come on, somebody. Y'all are quiet or you're listening good. God could have prevented this mess, but he didn't. God told me that he would never leave me or forsake me, and I can't find him in this anywhere. He told me he wouldn't put more on me than I can bear, neither he sees more in me than I do, or he missed this one. He said, joy is going to come in my morning, and it's been months and even years that my pillow is soaked in the midnight hour from tears running down, my cheeks still looking for an answer and understanding in the midst of my pain. And yet he said, joy is coming in my morning. It's been years and months, and I haven't found that joy yet. Doubt storms, because as you think, you will become. And if the enemy can just get me to doubt God's love for me, to doubt God's ability to meet my need, to doubt that God will show up in the midst of my crisis, to doubt that God even sees what I'm going through, to doubt that God has a solution to my problem, to doubt that God can turn this mess around and make something good out of it. If the enemy can just come and get me in the midst of a doubt storm, I'll be thinking of the flesh and thus I'll be reaping the flesh rather than thinking in the spirit and watching the supernatural favor and blessing of God flow into my life. Good preaching. Thank you. You see, I know that God is here. I know he loves me. I know he's not changed. But when I see him through fragmented windows that have been broken by deep pain, my ability to now trust him and my ability to believe in him has come under great attack from doubt and unbelief. What I once saw clearly through, now I see through fragmented pieces of glass. I I look through one piece and he's big and strong and he's got this and I can move in a second. I'm looking through another piece and he's small and now he has nothing that he can offer me in my perception of him now because if he even cared about me, that window wouldn't be shattered anyway. So suddenly we're in a war of our mind. But you see, pain is no stranger to those who love God. Oh, I need to say that again. Because, see, we're taught in the church that once you get saved, everything's okay. But I'm writing a book right now, and the title of it is It's Okay. And the first chapter is It's Okay to Not Be Okay. 
because my, my upbringing in the church tells me, especially as a minister, that you're supposed to be okay all the time. But I want to tell you, I've sat on my bedside hundreds of nights with tears running down my cheeks. Not okay. I was just as saved as I was the moment that I was okay. But something's hit my window. Tragedies come into my life. Understanding has disappeared. I can't put God together. I'm looking through a fragmented window. I can't see the puzzle put together anymore. I see a distorted picture. And all of a sudden that, that I put my entire life of faith and hope in has now come under severe attack through doubt storms that the enemy has brought to cause me to lose my focus and my belief in God. Pain's no stranger to those who love God. Jeremiah cried out in deep pain. He said, oh, how I hurt, how I hurt. I've been over in pain. Oh, the torture of my heart, Jeremiah said. My heart is pounding inside of me. Jonah declared, I ask you, Lord, please kill me. Better for me to die than live like this. Come on, anybody besides me been there? The Apostle Paul, even the Apostle Paul said we had great burdens that were beyond our own strength. We even gave up hope on living. Come on, my friend, when the Apostle Paul's saying that, it gives me a little bit of room to deal with the issues of life and let God work some things out that I can't work out by myself. Come on, somebody. You see, when and where and why the stone struck became a reference point to us. The windows that we once saw Jesus through would never be the same again. There was life before the pain, and now there's life after the pain. Before the pain, our view of God was clear. He seemed so near and touchable. But after the pain, God became harder to visualize, to see, to find, to understand. He became a blur and seemed to be a great distance away. Where I once could find him near and close, now I have to search for him. Our pain distorted our view and perception of who God is. It did not remove Jesus from our vision. It did not remove him from our life. We're as saved as we've ever been saved, but our perception of him and our understanding of him has now come under drastic attack. Maybe none of this describes your situation today. Maybe you're one of that small handful, that few, that painful issues of life that might have missed. But most of us in this room today have experienced a pain to the level that caused everything we ever believed in to come under attack of this thing called doubt. If God loved me, I need to know why. We look to God but can't find him. When we do find him, we don't understand him. An unexpected, unwanted stone of pain has hit and shattered our window. And now I see him through these fragmented pieces because you see, it's hard to see God clearly when you're in deep pain because emotional pain disturbs our peace more than anything else. I want to take you on a journey. Y'all with me? I want to take you on a journey of Jesus. There's a question that the disciples asked, and I'm going to get to it at the end, but I'm going to bring it to the beginning where they cried out, where is Jesus? Because you see, the friend and cousin of Jesus has been murdered. 
Herod has put a death threat on Jesus. Jesus is now having to leave the city to escape, to save his life. And at the moment he's packing his luggage to get out of town, the disciples return from a mission trip and they're all excited and they're pumped and and they're coming back with testimonies and stories and and they're sharing what God has done on this mission trip. And and all of a sudden the crowd sees him come into the city and the crowd begins to gather and and Jesus begins to let them talk and he's patting them on the back and high-fiving and another miracle, another healing, another salvation, another deliverance. They're high-fiving the stories of the miracles of the ministry and the crowd gathers and 25,000 people, the Bible says, gathered around the city that day. Jesus began to minister to them as they shared the great news of what had happened. And then at the end of that meeting, Jesus told the disciples, I want you to go over to a solitude place that is over around this bend, get in your boat and go around there and I'm gonna secretly meet you over there and we're just gonna have a time of rest and we're gonna mourn the loss of our loved ones here. And so the disciples easily snuck off as Jesus excused the crowd and and they began to ease around the bend in their boat and they came to this solitude place that Jesus was gonna meet. And as soon as they turned the bend, all of a sudden they heard this surprise because somebody got the word that Jesus was gonna be over there and there's 5,000 men waiting on them, plus women and children. And so the disciples pull up in their boat and Jesus comes around and now there's 5,000 plus men and women estimated another 20,000 of them had gathered over there and now they're hungry and Jesus says, does anyone have any food? And you know the story if you've been in church, there was a little boy there with five loaves and two fishes and Jesus took it and he blessed it and he began to break it. He began to give out and he fed the 5,000. They had fish and chips all day long there on the seashore and he's fed them, ministered to them And now he sends them away and he tells the disciples now, it's about 6 p.m. in the evening, he tells the disciples, I want you to get back in your boat and go on the other side of the lake. And the lakes there look like an ocean. And if you go to Israel, you'll understand what I'm about to preach because when the storm comes through those mountains, it turns that massive lake into an ocean. It's rough. And so Jesus now tells the disciples, I want you to go to the other side. I'm going up the mountaintop to pray. As Jesus began to walk up that mountaintop, he heard the rustle of the trees. He began to feel the wind. The darkness began to come as the clouds began to appear over the mountain's edge. All of a sudden, he heard the thunder roaring and lightning began to pop at a distance. And he still never turn around to warn the disciples. He sent them into the storm knowing they were going to face a storm. He knew that that calm waters was about to turn into a war zone but he never one moment turned around and warned them and tell them to come back. He sent them into the storm and he sent them into it alone. You see the greatest storm to be faced that night was not in the sky Even on the water surface, it was in the minds of the disciples when they saw the back of their master walk away and he never turned around to assist them. When he was healing the multitudes or feeding the thousands, they saw him clearly, but now a stone has shattered their window and things aren't so clear any longer. 
Imagine the incredible strain of these disciples as the sun's going down and the darkness of the clouds and all of a sudden the thunder's roaring. And, and if you go to Israel and you see one of these fishing boats, I'm talking about, about a 12-foot wooden boat, no motor, just paddles. And they're out there in the middle of what would be the intercoastal or even out in the Gulf. And all of a sudden a storm has hit and lightning's popping and rain is pouring and wind is blowing. And here they are and they know that Jesus could have warned them. They know that Jesus could have called them back. They know that this is the very same lake that the storm hit them before and Jesus was asleep in the bottom of the boat and they went down and woke him and brought him up on the bow of the boat and he looked at the storm and said, peace be still and the water became calm. They know they've seen. All he has to do is show up. But he didn't come. So does he even care? One hour went by. Two hours go by. Exhaustion and fear now begin to fill their minds and their spirit. Surely Jesus will come and help us, they said. This is the same water that he calmed. He can do it again, but this time he doesn't. He leaves them to face the storm alone for hours. Darkness surrounds them. The storm is embracing them. Still no sign of Jesus. Three hours goes by. Four hours go by. Still no Jesus. Now it's midnight. And how many will confess with me that some of the darkest storms of your life are in that midnight hour when silence has filled your room and everybody's in bed asleep and your mind is going a thousand miles an hour on he could have done something about it, but he didn't. I prayed, but he didn't answer me. I gave him the offering, but he hasn't met my need. I've done everything that I know to do in my own ability, and yet I cannot find him when I do look through my window. Everything is fragmented and nothing is making sense. This pain that I feel will not go away, and in the midst of my pain my mind is consumed and in the consumption of my mind I cannot find that word that I know is going to bring life to my situation because my mind is overwhelmed with this thing called doubt and unbelief six hours go by fighting the storm this darkness their bodies are now exhausted their minds are totally confused as to why Jesus has forsaken them the stone has been thrown, their window cracked, their minds and emotions begin to question the once sure validity of their master. Where is he, one cries. He's forgotten us, another one yells. He fed thousands of strangers who only wanted him for food. And look, he forgets and forsakes us, and we laid our life down for him. Doubt storms. Turbulent days when your enemy looks too big, your task seems too great, your future looks too bleak, and your answers seem too few. 1 a.m., no Jesus. It's 2 a.m., no Jesus. You see, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they're fishermen. They know the danger of these waters. They've helped bury their friends who have lost their lives through storms like this. They know better than anyone else that this might be their last battle. Why doesn't Jesus come, they mutter to one another. Why doesn't he come? But finally, he does. There's a key word there called finally. So something besides me learned that he always comes at the last, 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 last second 
that he could have left to come. Anybody figured that out? Yeah, just Jesus is never in a hurry. Because see, if he had come before the storm hit, they would have never learned anything in the storm. He finally came. We find it in Matthew chapter 14. It said, during the fourth watch of the night, between 3 and 6 a.m. in the morning, Jesus went to them walking on the lake. And when his followers or disciples saw him walking on the water, they were afraid. They said, it's a ghost. Cried out in fear. And Here's what I want you to see. You see, picture it. They're in the midst of this darkness. They're tired. They're worn out. They have fought this storm. Their bodies are aching. Their minds are under attack. The lightning's popping like crazy. They're sure to die in the midst of this storm. They know Jesus is just right over there on the hillside and has all the ability in the world to just look at that water like he did before and say, peace be still, and calmness is going to come. They know all of that. That's the war that's going on in their mind, but nothing's happening. He's not showing up, and all of a sudden, a lightning bolt goes across the sky, and there's a figure, and there's an image, and in the midst of their weakness and their tiredness, in the midst of their exhaustion, they looked, and they saw this image, and they cried out in fear it's a ghost wasn't a ghost it was Jesus see if he had come at the beginning of the storm they would have recognized him because they were looking for him but now they're full of doubt that he's even coming oh y'all need to hear me right now that's where the enemy wants you that's where he wants me Is he coming? Does he even care? Does he know I exist? Is he going to make a way in the midst of this crisis? Is he going to heal the brokenness of my heart? Is he going to do something with this mess that I find myself in? And if the enemy can get me in that place of doubt that Jesus even cares or he's coming, when he comes, I'll usually miss him because I'm not looking for him any longer. Because they weren't looking for him, doubt had filled their mind when he came. They didn't recognize him. Is it a ghost? Jesus said, no, take courage. It is I. Don't don't be afraid. You see, then out of the midst of that, Peter cried out and said, Jesus, if that's you, let me come on the water to you. If that's you. He didn't say, Jesus, that's you, Jesus. Cool, Jesus. High five disciples. He's here. He finally made it. No. See, doubt had consumed Peter's mind to the point that even when Jesus spoke the word, he questioned the validity of his existence and said, if that's really you. Oh, we need to hear this today because that's right where the enemy wants us. If that's you, Jesus, let me come on the water. And Jesus said, come. Peter got up, stepped out of the boat, walked on water. But as soon as he took his eyes off of Jesus and he looked back at the storm, he began to sink. You see, Peter walked, but then he sunk. And in the midst of his sinking, he cried out to Jesus again, saying, Lord, save me. Jesus reached down and lifted Peter out of the water and together they walked back to the boat. And what are you saying, Pastor Dan? 
I'm saying that Jesus did not come to your storm because he's waiting for you and I to acknowledge that we cannot do this without him. You can't stop what happened to you. You can't take back your failures. You cannot go back and change the assault and the hurt and the pain and the loss and all the things that you've been through in life, the stones that have been thrown in your direction, the shattered your window. You can't fix it. You can't change it. You can't get it back, but you can put your faith in a heavenly Father who wants to come and embrace you. And in the midst of your storm, He wants to hold you, pick you up, and listen to me. Jesus didn't carry Peter back to that boat. They walked back to that boat together, arm in arm, because now Peter is walking on the storm that the enemy sent to consume him. He's now walking on the very thing that caused him to fear. And today I want to challenge you in the midst of your storm, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your crisis, in the midst of your heartbreak, I want to assure you there's a heavenly Father in heaven who has not forsaken you. His eyes are all seeing and his heart is all knowing and he knows right where you are. Matter of fact, he's got your picture on the refrigerator of heaven and he's looking at you every day. The Bible said he's got mine and your name written in the palm of his hand ever before him. He knows you by name. He knows what you're going through. And before he ever started your journey on earth, he's already provided everything you're ever going to need in heaven. We just got to keep walking out the storm. Remember Cincinnati, Ohio? Remember that experience I had on the walkboard where the enemy brought fear and doubt and unbelief? Remember that word that my mentor, Berkland Dennis, said God never starts anything on earth that he hadn't finished in heaven? When I got back to Cincinnati, I got a phone call. It was from a roofer's union. And the guy called me, he says, this is Pastor Dan? I said, yes, sir. He said, I, I hear you got a building. You're starting a church downtown. I said, yes, sir. He said, I want to come and look at it. So we came, we looked out, I showed him, oh, literally, it's bigger than this here. And he said, well, I have a roofer's, a roofing business, and I have 27 men in an apprentice class, and they need on-the-job hours, and we want to know, can we put that roof on for you? Let me pray about that. Yes. <laughs> I said, bro, I don't have any money, man. We have no money. He said, no, nah, I can't charge you. I said, I can't buy the material. He said, I've already got them donated. $42,000 roof was put on that building. I, I roofed for three years, so I know how to roof. So I showed up one day with all my stuff and I climbed the ladder. I stepped on the roof. He said, oh, no, sir, Reverend. No, 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 sir. Insurance would not allow you up here. Doggone it, shucks. Okay, I'll head back down, go home. I got another phone call from South Kentucky, a church called me and they said, Pastor Dan, I said, yes. They said, we hear you started that church up there in Cincinnati. I said, yeah. They said, well, we, you need any instruments? And I go, I don't have any right now and I don't have any money. And they said, well, we were just donated a Yamaha electric baby grand piano. It's retail value between four and $5,000. It's never been played. And the owner that gave it to us said we couldn't give it away, that we could sell it. And we just want to know, would you like to buy it for $1? My wife's a witness to all this. I'm not making this up. And I said, address, please. 
And I got my little Toyota truck and here we went down to South Kentucky and in that church today is that Yamaha baby grand piano still worshiping the Lord, being played in worship. I got another phone call. I didn't make these calls, they were calling me. I got another phone call from a PA company, a music company in North Carolina. I don't even know people in North Carolina. They called and said, we hear you got this church up there in the inner city. I go, yeah, well, we want to fly some guys in and let them check it out. So they flew guys in at their cost, did all the analysis, went back to North Carolina, put together this monster PA system, thousands, tens of thousands of dollars, brought it back to Cincinnati, installed it, got on a plane and went home and didn't charge me a dollar. So what are you saying, Pastor Dan? I'm saying though my vision and perception had come under attack, God's promises had not wavered or moved. Come on, some of you need to get that right now because I'm still walking that journey out. Come on, somebody. Because you see, I'm writing this book called It's Okay to Not Be Okay. And the first chapter is It's Okay to Not Be Okay. I mean, it's called It's Okay. But the first chapter is, it's okay to not be okay. But the last chapter is, it's okay to be okay again. You see, some of you and I have a harder time right there than we did over here. Because over here, we battle with it's okay to be okay, it's okay to not be okay. But then when we work through this journey of life, we get over here and we find ourselves laughing and we feel guilty for laughing because we should be crying because of what happened over here. And we find ourselves living this life of turmoil. And I just want to declare to you today, it's okay to not be okay when you're in the midst of your crisis. You just can't build a house there because it's okay to be okay again. And what God wants you to find out today and what God wants to show you today is this, that in the midst of your battle, in the midst of your deepest pain, in the midst of your crisis, the battle of the enemy is not going to be around you. It's going to be in you, and it's going to be in your mind. And I want to assure you this today, as I assure myself, when I can't find him, he knows the way that I take. He's ever before me, and what he starts on earth, he's already finished in heaven, and you can take that to the bank. God honors his word. Bow your heads with me. Father, we love you today and we thank you for your goodness and your greatness in our life. God, I pray right now for those in this building that's gone through deep pain. A stone has come. Unexpected, undesired. That rock's been thrown into their window and their life has seemingly been shattered and their perception of you has been changed and under great attack. But today, God, you've brought a very simple word that has changed the window pane. That's what I want you to let God do today is put a new window in. Take out that old fragmented glass and let the Holy Spirit put a new window so that you see clearly again. And if you're in this building, our time is going. If you're in this building right now and you say, Pastor Dan, or oh, this word's for me today, and I'm, I've been under a severe attack, man. It's been real deal. And, and I'm going to be honest, man, my face has been attacked and, and doubts come against my mind. And today, God's brought me a word and I want the Holy Spirit to come and change window panes. I want to see clearly again. If that's you, would you lift a hand where you sit? I'm talking to Christians right now. You, you're going through a battle. You're going through a storm. You just need a new vision, fresh vision, fresh understanding of God, new belief, new faith. Father, I pray for every hand that's raised right now. I pray for these individuals, God. I pray right now, God, that you'll just do a transferring, God, of joy where there's been sadness. And, God, I pray, God, that you replace that doubt with faith again and hope. And Father, I pray right now that God, you help us to allow the Holy Spirit to change our window. That God, we no longer look through fragmented glass, but God, we see you clearly again. 
God, even in the midst of our pain, we know that you're true and you're faithful to your word. Maybe you're here right now and you join those that raised their hand in the earlier service and you say, Pastor Dan, I'm away from God right now. I know I'm not where I need to be with God. Things have happened in my life and, and I'm just not there spiritually and I know that I'm empty. Spiritually, I'm dead on the inside and I need Jesus to come and change my life. I need hope today in Him. Pray for me. If that's you, would you lift a hand? Where you say, I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to come to you. God bless you. I just want to pray a prayer for you. God bless you over here. I need Jesus in my life today. I'm tired of the pain. I'm tired of the hurt. I'm tired of the emptiness. And I'm ready for a change. Pray for me, Pastor. Anyone else? Very quickly before we pray. Will you join me if you raise your hand or you did not? And you need Jesus in your life. And we're going to pray it with you so that you don't pray along. Maybe you're online and you're watching us via live stream. And you need Jesus in your heart today. Just pray this prayer with us. Say, Dear Jesus. I come to you now. You said in your word, if I would just come to you, confess with my mouth that you are Lord, believe in my heart that you raised from the dead, I can be saved. So right now, I come to you, I confess, I believe, and I receive you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, let's celebrate with these that pray today.